We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity, it's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbag. The Rock Pile Report. Oh, my blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors Banquet beers out of spite. The Pettiest, Hardest Drinking Bills Podcast. I'll go to hell and back just to prove a point. To another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. We're here talking week three preview Buffalo Bills against the Washington, uh, the, the Commanders, the football team, the Redskins. The, the, what, <laughs> uh, we're here talking to Paul Williams from the 50 Gut podcast. Guys, it's funny. First of all, let me run it down. Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, FedEx Field. The weather, 85% chance of rain, high of 72, which is gross. The line is the Bills minus six and a half. The crew is Land Clark, who is one of the more annoying NFL officials that exists. He officiated, for those of you who forget, he officiated the Bills-Jaguars game a few years ago. The man's kind of a, it's going to hurt everybody involved. And Chris, who do we have on the call for the game? Oh, we got Andrew Catalan, Tiki Barber, and Matt Ryan. And this game is oh literally only available in New York from like Utica to Buffalo and the DC area. That's it. And wow. most and most of Virginia. Now, with us we have Paul of the Fifty Gut Podcast. Sir, first of all, you guys are the I love the fact that I found your podcast because I've always kind of hated your franchise. And then listening to you guys, I'm like, oh, I can commiserate with these guys. <laughs> they go, they've been going through some of the same shit I've gone through. It's awesome that we get to get back together after all of this time for another game. What's it been, like two years? Yeah, it's been like two years. Thank you guys for having me on, man. Hey, we, we told each other that we would link again either when the Bills played the Washington football team, Commanders, Redskins again, or when Daniel Snyder gets fired. So... This is like a, a two for one. You, you're giving me a two for one right now, man, because we got to talk about both. 
Oh no, one hundred percent. And I'll tell you this: I still have the podcast queued up where I'm. I've, I've already got. You have no idea. It's a montage because I'm petty as fuck. You guys are the pettiest Redskins podcast or Washington Commanders podcast. We are the pettiest Bills podcast. It's why we get along. I have a show lined up in mind. It's going to be you. It's going to be Rio Robinson. I'm bringing in some guys who I know who are season ticket holders, former season ticket holders of the Redskins. Uh, I, I'm talking to the guy. I've been talking behind the scenes to the guy who the uh, the damn Snyder Twitter account. I've been talking. <laughs> that person is afraid to come forward and speak publicly because they go, they're like, listen, the, Dan Snyder might find out who I am and take action. They're afraid to talk. That's what a piece of garbage that guy is. Let's start tonight's show right there. How good does life feel without Dan Snyder? It's I, I've always imagined what this day would be, or what the day would like when Dan Snyder finally walked away. Let me set the scene. It's Washington D.C. The day that Josh Harris took takes control of the team. There was a party down by Nationals Park where everybody was there. Like I'm talking about it's a little like park, maybe the size of, I don't know, like maybe like 100 yards long. It's packed from wall to wall. People are popping champagne bottles, spilling beer over their head. And I'm like, yo, if I ever get fired from my job and thousands of people show up to the party celebrating that fact, I don't know what what the fuck I would do. You would never see me ever again. <laughs> but, but like, just just to speak on it is like the, the sky is bluer, the grass is greener, my beer is colder and tastes better. It's like my life has just exponentially got better just with, with the removal of one guy. It's just, it, it's better than I ever imagined it would be. And you know, I mean, I'm, I don't know how good this team is. They're looking good right now, but it just it, it just goes hand in hand. Like Dan Snyder got the fuck. And everything's just getting better by a byproduct. It's crazy. Dude, it's crazy. Not just the fact, like, when you guys won, because that week one win was pretty dramatic. That Like, it took some heroics to pull that thing off. And that stadium looked like it was going to come down. <laughs> People in it were going <laughs> wild. And so now, here you are, 2-0 and start. Sellout crowd. A sellout yeah. for the Buffalo Bills coming into town and this is a team that was at the bottom of the league last year for attendance and you guys have <clears throat> sold this thing out for this game if anything to me what it proves is that the fandom was always there the fandom never mm -hmm. died in a lot of these people it was just like like some of the people who are I know are listening to this podcast right now, like Preston and all of his buddies who would come up from Virginia to watch Bill's football because they couldn't bear to put a dollar in the pocket of Dan Snyder, so they wouldn't go to the the Washington football team's games. It's just yeah. this idea that that place is now packed to the gills and there's probably going to be people hanging around outside just, just tailgating who don't even go inside. It's like night and day, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you know anything about FedEx Field, it's it's not a pleasant place to be. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of it's only like twenty years old and it's already like ten years outdated. You know, there's famous clips of railings falling over on on Jalen Hurts and like pipes bursting with who knows what falling on fans and shit like that. People were just waiting for Daniel Snyder to leave. I think people were just ready to believe again, but they weren't ready to give Dan Snyder a damn of their money. People were so excited. For, like, they're packing 
one of the worst venues in sports, not just in America, anywhere, just to be around like good times again, like just to celebrate the fact that Dan is gone. And Chris, you know that, like that feeling, that elation, where yeah. you're like, oh, this thing I love is saved. Right. We know that personally, having <laughs> gone through it with our own local sports teams. And so I'm, I'm just happy you guys get that moment. I'm happy that you guys have gotten to enjoy that. And I'm, I'm hoping that that's where the enjoyment for the weekend ends. <laughs> because I'm really hoping, <laughs> I'm really hoping my football team can take care of business against yours. So if we want to talk about how this game lays out, just in terms of what your team is, one of the bigger matchups in this game is going to be the defensive line against our offensive line. And the Bills' offensive line has never been great. (laughs) And in week one against a very good Jets front seven, we were not very good. Last week against one pass rusher, they did did okay. They they had a game plan for one guy. And they said, hey, we're not going to let Max Crosby wreck our game. The problem with the Washington team is that you guys have four Max Crosbys. (laughs) <laughs> you, just line, <laughs> you line these guys up out of them all who do you think is the biggest threat to what we want to execute on offense in terms of just you know because Deion Dawkins is a decent left tackle but Spencer Brown at right tackle is a little shaky he sometimes needs some help who do you think is the biggest threat to what we're trying to orchestrate I mean it, you're right they have four guys I mean notably they have four first round picks Back-to-back-to-back years, Deron Payne, uh, uh, Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. If I had to pick one of those guys to be a factor in this game, it probably is going to be Montez Sweat. I think that while I I think the best player on that line currently maybe is Deron Payne in the middle, he's been a menace for a year and a half now, earned his contract, and and is continuing to be really, really good. I think with Josh Allen and what he can threaten you with, getting outside the pocket and making you pay when he wants to become an athlete. Montez Sweat also runs a 4-4. He's a big boy who can run as well. So, I mean, I think that if you want to pressure Josh Allen up up the middle, at your own risk, he's going to get outside, but you have a guy who can kind of do his best to try to contain him. I don't know. It's easier said than done, but he's one of the faster DNs in the league. He's not as fast as, like, the Micah Parsons of the world, but he's no scrub either. Jesus Christ. Exactly. <laughs> Michael Parsons is one of one. That guy's out of his mind. I, I like the fact that somebody tweeted they were like, Oh, that's the that's the somebody put out a tweet, was it Breck Holman? And Michael Parsons responded to it, they were like, Oh, that's the problem is like the 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 Dallas just built a team and then threw a live tiger onto the field. And Michael Parsons, they were like, this guy just, he's literally, and then he, he responded and was like, yo, I'm just out here hunting. I'm just out here trying to hunt. And it's like, dude, that's crazy. He's just a dude who's out there to dominate. There's one on one, but you guys have some of the SEC's best pass rushers over the last few years and you've collected them all. And do you know who, Chris, Chris, guess who plays in the trenches better than the SEC? No Nobody. One. No one. No one. At least from a pass rush perspective, it doesn't get much better than what the SEC has to offer. Washington was smart to steer into that. So now the question I have, when it comes to solving that puzzle of the front seven, where are your weaknesses? What are the things that you are nervous about when it comes to the way we might attack your offense or your defense, especially knowing what we put on tape last week. 
Well, you guys were really explosive last week on offense. Um, I mean, I know the Jets game was, you know, an aberration. Let's put it that. And then you faced the Raiders, who are a lot less uh, talent than the Jets, and you guys went off. If there's one thing I noticed this past weekend against the, the Broncos, um, when you try to get outside the tackles, just, you know, in a run game's perspective, our linebackers are not that great. Jamie Davis was a first-round pick in 2021. He's coming around. Other linebacker, a free agent from Seattle and Cody Barton. He he just is not a physical player. Uh, from my perspective, he hasn't been physical enough. He's fast as could be, but he, if he's asked to go silent, sideline, he gets caught up in traffic way too often. And that led to a couple long runs by the Broncos, just toss sweeps, anything outside the tackles. If you were able to bait Chase Young or Montez Sweat into picking inside a tackle or a pulling guard and you're asking these linebackers to get out to the edge and make a tackle – there's success to be had with the offense. So whether it's uh, James Cook or if it's Damian Harris or if it's just a power split with Josh Allen and we're just going to the outside, I think there's a little bit of running space out there. Definitely easier than going up the middle. I wouldn't suggest that at all. But you can run to the outside against this team. What I want to know is this. When I look at the scoreboards, because that's what I'm doing when I'm watching a lot of your games until I go back and rewatch them now because I'm trying to prep for this one. All I see is back-to-back nail biters. You're two and zero, back-to-back nail biters. What's happening on defense that doesn't allow the offense to pull away with things? Uh, well, if you watch the last game, they they kind of spotted the Broncos' twenty-one-three lead, right? And yeah. it was going to be a twenty-eight-to-three lead until Jimmy Days made a really great play and, and forced the fumble on um, Russell Wilson to kind of turn the tide of the game. I would say the defense is um, – they haven't been great to open games. I think that – this is my opinion. When there's a scripted 20, 25 plays open a game, right, they've, they've had success against our defense in the scripted plays. Once the game goes off script and it's just playmaker for playmaker for making plays, we've kind of found a way to claw and scratch back in the game with offense doing just enough to take the lead. But I think a good offensive coordinator, a good game plan – and getting a early lead on this team, you're asking Sam Howell in this offense to come back. And so far, they've been successful in doing so. But we've had a little bit of trouble, even against the likes of Josh Dobbs, of stopping teams in the opening quarter, the opening quarter and a half. It's, it's really been a struggle. Well, and that's one of the things that I found, I don't know, I found really interesting, is that you guys are getting outscored in the first half of both games by a, by a notable margin. Like you yeah. went into both games that you've won. Kudos to you guys for finding a way to claw back in the second half. But against a struggling Russell Wilson and against uh, Josh Dobbs in his first NFL, I don't want to say first NFL start, but his his first start with a new team where they've scripted heavily what they think his first half is going to be, you guys went into halftime with the deficit. That's a problem. For a defense, <laughs> yeah. especially when you're going into a game against a team like Buffalo, who showed last week, we came out of halftime and took the kickoff and only gave two minutes of possession to the team and to our opponent in the second quarter, uh, the third quarter. Like that's wild. You had yeah. two minutes of clock. <laughs> that's it. And then we took it and we scored ten points and then said, "Okay, now you're down by twenty-one. Do something." Are you nervous at all that this might turn into a boat race, just offense versus offense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
I am a Sam Howell believer. I am famously a Sam Howell believer. I, I thought last year he could have been playing a little bit more when Heineke was kind of struggling a little bit. And, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised. I didn't think that they could rip off 35, well, 32 straight points against the Broncos last week they did. I am pleasantly surprised. I don't want to be in a shootout with Josh Allen. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's the way to go. And, you know, like you mentioned, opening the show, the, the weather is getting nasty. Uh, it might be raining buckets on Sunday. And Sam Howell takes a lot of sacks. For all the good things he, all the good things he does, I think he's the most sacked quarterback in the league right now, or like top yes. three right now. He's, he holds the ball way too long. It's something that he's got to work his way through as he matures. But right now, it's well, not that's something that's, yeah. To your point, that's that maturity. That's growing as a passer. Josh Allen, mm-hmm. Chris, do you remember when Josh Allen used to just get his ass beat? And then you would come on here and yell <laughs> about it? I would just get drunk and yell into a microphone about how bad Josh Allen was. No, he was just a young quarterback who was earning his stripes and learning what he can and can't get away with at the NFL level. Mm-hmm. Sam Howell's going for it. He's going through it right now. And here's the worst part. I'm In journalism, they call it burying the lead. And that's what I did with this podcast. The actual conversation around this entire game isn't about the defense. It's not about anything else. It's about Sam Howell. Right now, he might be, at 2-0, the story of the season. This is a guy who was a later-round draft pick that people were like, what, they're, they're going to start Sam Howell? They don't want to pay Taylor Heineke? Taylor Heineke almost won a playoff game. He almost did that. But, but. Howell has looked like he looks like a guy that I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's like he had, he plays with a chip on his shoulder. He's got an arm. He's got tools. He's got athletic chops. He's got balls. Like that's the thing it takes to be that quarterback is to be like, Hey, listen, my offensive line isn't great. They're hemorrhaging pressure, but guess what? Fuck you. I'm going to throw into triple coverage. Why? Because I've got Terry McLaurin <laughs> and then it works and everyone goes bananas. When you think about what he means to this team, first of all, his mobility, how like that's indispensable to his game, right? In the pocket, he looks smoother than a guy who's just making his first couple starts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a testament to the work he's putting in the offseason. And, I, you know, Eric Bieniemy has obviously done a lot of good work with Sam Howell over the, you know, six to seven months that he's been here as well. Um, he's an athlete, man. I think that people look at him like, oh, you know, short white quarterback, you know, maybe he's not as fast as he looks, but there was a couple times this past week where he was beating linebackers and safeties to the edge and getting like crucial first downs, like not just like third and threes, third and fours, like third and tens, third and elevens. Like he can run, man. He's, he's an athletic dude. And, you know, to say what you want about Heineke, like Heineke could run too, but it wasn't a part of his game as much. And now that they've kind of worked a little bit of RPO into the offense as well, the threat of him, of him running, running has opened up the offense for guys like Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson as well. It's, it, the threat of him being an athlete and going in there and making plays is making the defense hold just a tick, just long enough to open up things in the run game as well. I love the, the, the term arm arrogance is a favorite one of mine. And, <laughs> That's a good one. And when I think about it, I think about a guy like Josh Allen. I think about a guy like Patrick Mahomes who's like, fuck it, I know I can make this throw. I don't give a shit who's out there in coverage. I'm throwing it. Sam Howell has that where he goes, you know what? I don't care if that guy's double covered, triple covered. I know I can make this throw. I'm going to put it on a rope 40 yards downfield. I don't, I don't care. I don't care how far he is. I think I can make it. 
Is there any concern for you that those aggressive tendencies could eventually get figured out over time? I mean, of course. I think that when you have an arm like Sam Howell, you are you have a little bit of like Brett Favre in you. Like, yeah, I have the strongest arm in the league. I'm gonna try to like th- like fit it in there, like on some Rex Grossman shit. But like sometimes, you know, like you said, the arrogance just gets the better of you, and better cornerbacks can can pick on you. And I don't think he's really faced. I don't think he hasn't faced many really good cornerbacks in the, his opening two weeks. Like Pat Sertain is is nice, but he's no Trey White. Like there's no. lots of good DBs in, in Buffalo who are waiting for Sam Howell to do some arrogant shit so they can take him to the house the other way. You hey. know, I remember last time we saw you guys, Jordan Poyer and um, Micah Hyde both had picks. It was like, okay, well, the best safety doing the league just did a number on you. Yeah. Um, but, hey, listen, he has a strong arm. He definitely likes to show it off. And I think Commanders fans, like the thing we like about him most is like no quarterback, whether it's Alex Smith, Kirk Cousins to a degree, you know, uh, definitely not Taylor Heineke, Josh, uh, Kyle Allen. None of these guys had really strong arms. I mean, like, yeah, Carson Wentz had a strong arm, but he'd throw that shit into, like, row F. <laughs> you know? that, 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 that shit would go into the club seats. Carson so it's Wentz! Like, <laughs> you would watch him throw these, these balls, Sam Howell, and, like, it's like, wow, we actually have a quarterback who not only has the guts to make the throw, but actually has the fucking cannon to fit it in there to make these throws. But he's young, and there's some better cornerbacks in the league that will bait you. It's it's only you know it's a learning process. I think that maybe he it would run through a lot of problems at some point, but I'm hoping it's not Sunday. We'll, we'll see though. <laughs> now here's what <laughs> I'll ask: What was your emotions? Because this is the this is the first conversation I've gotten to have with you in a long time, and I want to soak a lot of this up. So in the moment where your head coach, first of all, what do you guys think of Ron Rivera as a head coach? Like you guys are off to a good start. But you've also endured some years of some uh, turbulence. What, what do you think of him as a head coach? Um, great guy, average to below average head coach. I think at the time when we hired him in 2020, we had just fired Jay Gruden. We had just fired Bruce Allen. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan was still in the picture, obviously. But we, at the time, we were like, well, there's nothing you can do about that. Dan's not going anywhere. He was the adult, Ron Rivera, that we needed. He came in here, he stabilized things, you know, he earned the respect of the locker room by just being a good, decent guy. Something that you couldn't say about a lot of people in the in the front office at the time. But you've kind of seen over the years, you know, he's he's made some gaffes in game planning, like he's made some gaffes in the media saying the wrong thing or talking too much. And I know a lot of fans around here are kind of over him. Um, but like I said, he, he is a great guy. He's a guy that has the respect of the locker room. He has my respect. I think he's as a human being, just as solid as they come. Oh, but, sure. Yeah, but as as a coach, you know, he, he leaves some things to be desired, which is why I, I'm so high on Eric Bieniemy and Jack Del Rio. Um, well, and this is know, where this starts. To, this is where this conversation starts to evolve because you're talking about the guy who's now two and zero, not based on anything he knows, not based on anything he specializes in or he's done. And also, he's the guy. What was your reaction when he played Carson Wentz in that game last year and didn't know that it was going to cost him the season? It's to me. How could you not? Do, how could you not know? How could you not know? You had seen Carson Wentz. He had a good week one last year versus the Jags. Every other game he played, and he was fucking awful. I'm talking about like Carson Wentz in the final days in Philly, awful. Like he's taking a million sacks. He's throwing the ball into the freaking club seats. Like, he's just, like, 
it, it's just like unimaginable that with the playoffs on the line, after all of the Taylor Heineke had done for you in the previous two seasons, he disrespected that he was him. Right, exactly. And I think that, you know, he had said as much on the podcast. I think he was on with Pat McAfee after the season. He was like, I was pissed that I was pulled. And I, I, I don't blame him. You should be pissed. You had led this team for two years straight off the bench. Like, you, you know, we thrust you into action. You did your best. And everybody likes Taylor Heineke. I mean, his deficiency as a quarterback are obvious, but he's a, he's a gamer. He's a baller. And Carson Wentz objectively is not. <laughs> so it was like the fact that he put him in there and in a game that cost you the season. I think people are really fed up with Ron Vera in that moment. Chris, is that like a Rob Johnson, Doug Flutie thing? Sounds like it. <laughs> that's it. Like, that's, for, Bill, see, this is what I mean. Like, you guys as a fan base have a lot of the same miseries that we've had. You've gotten to share some of these same pains <laughs> we have, which is why for as like much animosity as I think some people still hold towards the organization because they feel like you guys stole us, stole a Super Bowl from us, which you didn't. You were the better team from start to finish in that game. <laughs> it was almost embarrassing how out of hand that game got. But I feel like we can commiserate over our f- just communal misery in football. And now you're talking about the fact that you got this kid at quarterback who's showing a live arm, who's showing a lot of things. One of the things that I always say, though, is that the first two starts of a quarterback's career, you can catch people napping. It's week three Uh that's always rough. Here's why. Game one, everyone comes in naked. Nobody knows what to think. They go, we think we know something about this guy, but it's all based on projections. Preseason, which doesn't mean anything. And then the games happen and nobody knows what to do. Second game, teams look and they go, okay, here's your film. What's a tendency and what can we manipulate to take advantage of? And then that team goes out and tries to do something. So the third team gets to take a step back and go, okay, this team did half the work. Now that they've kind of identified what his tendencies were and they tried to take some of them away, what did he respond poorly to? What did he just continue chugging along with? And so then you kind of figure out what was a tendency and what was just an aberration. This was just a throw the quarterback made because it was off script and he made it. Or what's a thing when he rolls out of the pocket, he just continues to look at the one running back. And you go, oh, okay, that's a thing. All right, well, let's make that part of our defensive approach for the week. And here's where you can start to catch a young quarterback slipping. It's why head coaches like Bill Belichick and Sean McDermott have such a dominant record against young quarterbacks is because they pick up on that stuff during film study, catch them at the right time, and because they're good at defensive coordinating, they crush these guys. Is there any concern that Enemy's offense might allow some of that? I definitely think there is... There's... Uh, element of that 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 could be taken advantage of. I mean, if you look at the offense that we run now, it's much different than we had with Scott Turner in the previous three seasons, right? There's a lot of Andy Reid, you know, um, Nagy Chiefs offense kind of moving its way over. It's not the same, obviously, because, you know, there's different wrinkles in it. But I do think that if there's one thing about Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy that would worry me moving forward, especially as guys like Sean McDermott kind of game plan for him, we're pushing the ball downfield a little bit more often than we would otherwise, and we're throwing the ball at a much higher rate. I think in both of the previous two games, Howell has had like 25 to 30 pass attempts before half in both those games, which is not something that Ron Rivera would ever do, ever. 
You know what I'm saying? He yeah. wants to run the ball. He he wants to run a 1987 offense. He wants to have, you know, 35 to 40 carries from the running backs and let the quarterback throw the ball at a minimum rate. I think that you can kind of get caught up into that and, and having your quarterback who, you know, has a live arm and it's impressive, but asking him to throw the ball 35, 40 times, 50 times against a guy like Sean McDermott who can dice that young quarterback could get you into trouble. And I think that if they don't, if they're not aware of that going into Sunday, then it could get them in trouble for sure. Now, the impact of Eric Bieniemy, it can't be more understated because you said it. It's like night and day. What I've watched just on tape this past week of you guys over the last two has been fucking wild. There's <laughs> pre-snap motion. The offense is more creative. There's misdirection in what you guys are doing in terms of like, we're going to disguise our pre-snap routes. We're going to bring a wide receiver across the, f- the, f- the back of the formation. And as he's coming across, you're going to watch the linebacker shift to the right. And then what we're going to do is we're going to call a guard to pull out into space. And we're going to throw a screen pass to Antonio Gibson. And he's going to take this thing 30 yards. <laughs> yeah. It's been wild to see his impact. And it's also kind of funny that the Chiefs have struggled since he left. Like, have you noticed that? Yeah, I think I saw something today that the Chiefs are like 25th in offense, and we are currently 7th, which is fucking wild. I, <laughs> in my wildest match, I would never believe that we have the 7th ranked offense at any point during the year, even after two weeks. It's just not something that we're used to seeing, especially under Ron Rivera. Offenses have been very poor to, to you know, average at best. To see them actually showing a little creativity and and – Try different things on offense. I think last week we set a franchise record. Nine different guys caught two or more passes. It's game two. It's game two with Eric Bieniemy, and they're already being like, oh, my God, this is so fucking exotic. They're trying new things. They're actually calling screen passes. I know it's not something that in 2023 that surprised anybody. Hey, they're working. We were, they're we're, fucking yeah. working. Right. In the previous years, we had guys like Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner at guard who have the combined mobility of a wet paper bag. Mm-hmm. Now they're actually using the offensive linemen who, I mean, we have a couple, I'm being nice, Jags up front, right? But I think Eric Bieniemy knows the way to take advantage of yes. guys' skill set and use it to his advantage. Well, and so, and, being, and so, being creative in that way. So with that in mind, why have you guys gotten off to such slow offensive starts? 24 points in the first half of games so far through two mm-hmm. games. You have not had a lead at halftime. Four lost fumbles in two games. Like, th- there's a lot of stuff going on here, bro. I go, this is all nice. You're winning games, but there's also some cause for concern. Like, what? what is it that happens to you guys coming out of the gate? Is it just the fact that getting off the ground with a scripted offense isn't working for you guys? Well, versus the Cardinals, I would say it was probably... Just, you know, the first game. Nerves. Uh, yeah, nerves. Okay. I mean, Sam didn't look great in the first okay. game. He was okay. he took a really bad sack that resulted in a sack fumble for a touchdown. Um, he threw a really bad pick on a tip ball, but it was like the ball couldn't pick by three different guys because he was throwing it into, like, double coverage late. Okay. Um, they were able to fight their way back, um, you know, by the defense kind of leading the way versus the Cardinals, and they ran the ball better. First, the Brown, uh, Broncos, they – we're driving the ball pretty much the entire game. You know, there was a lot of bad sacks that he was taking late in drives versus the Broncos, which kind of turned, you know, promising drives into field goal attempts. 
And there's a whole other conversation to have with this long snapper who has put several <laughs> balls into the dirt. Yeah, well, no, yeah. let's have that because we're friends with our long – in fact, I'm a business partner with our long snapper. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I'll talk to you about that nice. off there, But, yeah, like <laughs> we're friends with our long snapper. And that dude is – he's solid. He's ice cold. You mm. guys – you guys held an open tryout for long snappers. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Is he really that bad? <laughs> Dude, he, he's let – me, let me tell you. So we caught wind over the summer that, you know, one reporter said, oh, his name is Cameron Cheeseman. He's his third year out of Michigan, right? He changed up his snapping routine and, you know, it's kind of just a like throwaway quote from the summer. Like, okay, whatever, right? Throughout training camp, you had just seen him – put balls over the holder's head. He's dribbling them back through left, right. We're like, what's going on here? And through three preseason games and two regular season games, he's had like maybe four or five like legit bad snaps. Where for any long snapper, one is too many, right? It's a very – You have one you know, job. Right. All you do is long snap. And so uh, like literally last week, Joe Sly missed two field goals, and I, I hate to like attribute the miss to a long snapper. On the first snap, he literally dribbled it back to the to Tressware oh. holder. The second one he missed, it went over his head. Tress did a great job of, of like snagging it last second and getting it down, but the kick was like thirty yards wide. It's like okay, well, this kid, this long snapper, I I don't know why he changed his secret sauce because I don't remember having any bad snaps prior to this year. I I, I see that we didn't bring in anybody, or we didn't sign anybody to replace him. So I'm, I'm also worried about that. That could be. Especially when you're winning games by four points versus the Cardinals, yeah. two points versus the Broncos. A field goal could be the, the difference in a win or a loss. Three and field goals might be – the, Well, also think about what the Bills' offense is. Three field goals might be the way to stem the tide of the Bills just running away with a football game. If you say, hey, I can kick a 45-yarder, and hey, we're in range for a 49-yarder, but we think we can get some points, and you do it, it keeps the game close. If you do what the Raiders did last week and you just can't move the ball, you can't get in range of your kicker, or you can't get in a range that you trust that asshole not to fuck it up, and then or you do get in range and he does fuck it up, it's a game changer because it's, again, it's the thing that's keeping you from being able to keep the game tight. I, and then I can't let you go without talking about this offensive line. Because here's what I've seen. First of all, Sam Cosme, last, the last time we played, I beat up Sam Cosme. <laughs> and so did the uh -huh. Buffalo Bills. He wasn't good as a tackle. <laughs> but you guys moved him inside and he's been great. He is a great guard. What the hell is going on around him? <laughs> because Wiley and Leno look like, dude, you could set them both on fire. What's happening here? Yeah, oh my god. Uh Randy Gregory of the Broncos nearly decapitated uh Sean Sam Howell on Sunday on the second drive. Like I'm talking about it was one of those like blind side blocks where it's like a miracle he didn't fumble. Leno gets beat like a drum, right? It, it's no doubt about it. Andrew Wiley, kind of the same thing, but for the most part, the interior three guys from left to right is Sadiq Charles, Nick Gates. And Sam Cosby, who they moved inside the guard, as you mentioned, they, they've been solid. They've been solid. And I, they've kind of been saving Sam Howell's ass <laughs> for the most part. I mean, Sam, God bless Sam. He's been great at moving in the pocket. He kind of feels that pressure. And I think it's another thing I like about him is that he 
kind of feels it when it's coming, and he and he's able to move with it. Whether he lets go of the ball in time or not, you know, that's a different story. But the tackles have not been good. And I like Leno. I like him personally. I've met him a few times. I've met his wife. He's a great dude. But he's progressively gotten worse every single year um, we've had him here. And against a guy like Leonard Floyd, uh, that's not a guy you want to mess around with. Like, he'll no. make your life miserable. No, because I'm, I'm looking at this and I go, they're tackles, Chris, just to put this in perspective for you. Because I know you don't do any fucking research. You're just no. over there pushing buttons. The tackles have allowed 11 pressures and three sacks. The rest of the offensive line has allowed 10 pressures and one sack. Those guys are dogging it. There's a reason the Chiefs gave up on Wiley and traded for Juwan Taylor, although he's not much better. <laughs> hey, can, yeah, we all say, yeah, he, can we all say fuck that guy? Yeah, a big fuck that guy. The legend had his he's still fall starting. I don't know. <laughs> he's fall starting right now. It's he's famously, that's we call we call it the Morgan Moses move around here. Somebody who like rocks into a false start just about every play. I'm like, <laughs> are the refs not seeing what's going on here? Are you not paying attention <laughs> to the game, bro? <laughs> all I know is, all I know is, is that offensively, you guys have a lot of promise. You have some things you've done really well over the last few weeks. That screen game scares the shit out of me because it has historically gotten away from the Bills. When you get blockers in our face and you get guys moving, and you get one guy with a full head of steam, it's been a thing that has unraveled our defense time and time and time. And I hate the fact that enemy has brought this level of creativity to your offense because I'd like to believe this is going to be the same offense. I see all the fans. Oh, last time we played Washington, oh, we did this, and we dominated them, and we ran away with the game. Yes, the quarterback might be young, but they are going to be well-orchestrated. And they are going to continue fighting for four quarters because that's how, that's why you're two and oh. It's because through four quarters, you have a quarterback whose balls are so big, he does not know when to quit. That guy can't get beat. He, there's, there, there's so much fight in that guy. I can't wait to see this game because it's like a, it's like a mini Josh Allen. <laughs> He's like, I can run for a first down. I don't give a shit that I'm small. Go ahead, bang me up. I'll get up and I'll make this play. Sack me. I don't give a fuck. As long as I don't fumble, I'm going to get up. And I'm also going to throw into triple coverage. Why? Because I think I can make it. And when he scores that touchdown, what do you think that does to his ego? He goes, oh, man. He's, he's Shooter McGavin now. He's just walking around, just, hey. He, he he reminds me he reminds me of like Baker Mayfield like remember Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma how he was you know talking big shit and grabbing his nuts and looking at the Kansas bench like he I always when I when he came to the league I called them leg day Baker Mayfield he has an arm but he also has like a power running element to him a little bit like he can run the ball and not just like scoot to the outside and get a quick five or six like he actually can run the ball and like run over somebody if you're kind of slipping on a little bit. And like you said, he has an ego to him too. Like he talks big shit. I actually think that he, uh, he was retweeting Broncos uh, beat reporters after the game on Sunday. Cause his entire timeline is just like, okay, Broncos beat reporters talking shit on me. And I'm just retweeting after the game being extra petty. And you know, I'm petty too. So that's my man. I like that shit. And that's it. And that's why, <laughs> that's why we like him. That's why I like you. That's why we get along. Dude, you guys put together the best, like, the best Redskins podcast 
I've, I've ever come across. Also, I, I knew from the moment I listened to your show that you and me were going to get along. <laughs> I, I knew it. Why don't you tell all of like our what, listeners? Man, we, we they, yeah, why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find it and where they can find you on Twitter? Oh, uh, yeah. Find us at 50 Gut Pod on Instagram, Twitter, X. Well, thanks, Elon. And we are on every <laughs> podcast platform, uh, Spotify, Apple, what have you. We're everywhere. So wherever you find your podcast, we're there. Check us out, please. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Paul Williams, 50 Gut Blog on Twitter. Paul Will, FGP on Twitter. Follow him. Drew, I had to go to his Twitter to make sure I get the Twitter handle correct. Mm -hmm. And he had reposted this thing from NFL Network. We've talked about him before years ago on the podcast. Adam Rank has, has picked. The Redskins to win 23-21 this week. <laughs> while everyone else has picked the Bills. That's the kiss of death right there. If Adam Rank is on your... It's it's like that thing. When you look around and you go, there oh, it wow. Is. All right. So it's it, to me, it's one of those things where when you look around and you say to yourself, who's on my side? Is it Charlie Gross? Is it Hitler? <laughs> oh, I don't want to be on this side of the fence. Uh-oh. I may have made a bad call. <laughs> That's how I feel whenever I have an idea. And then Adam Rank is like, well, well look, at the, look at this below it. Adam Rank has the Redskins going 5-12 and 12 this year. So, so this one is, of the, one, of this their is one of their five wins, <laughs> according to Adam Rank, is against the Bills. Oh, what a dummy. God, the national media just drives me crazy, dude. Hopefully... The rest of the media is correct. And if we're going to get there, I've got your keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. Keychain's pretty heavy tonight. First of all, Sam Howell is the bizarro Jimmy G. Pastor charts couldn't be more opposite. Howell has very few throws to the boundaries prefers to attack the middle of the field. More than 75% of his completions come within a box that are basically adjacent to the hash marks and less than 20 yards from the line of scrimmage. He lives in the area. So it's going to be a complete flip from the the quarterback tendencies we saw last week. This is a place where the Bills are pretty strong. Right, Chris? Yeah. 
Like just just Teron Johnson, Matt Milano, Terrell Bernard, who showed a little bit of ball skills last week. Great stable of safeties. You'd like to believe that the core of your D up the middle there from a pass protection standpoint is pretty strong. What you're going to have to avoid falling for is Biennemi's motions and his packages to play is designed to get those guys out of position and then exploit those windows. Now, I think that they've played two teams that play a lot of zone. I think that's hurt them. Or at least it's helped them in terms of his willingness to throw into those windows. It'll be interesting to see the type of approach that Sean McDermott rolls out this weekend. Uh, also, exploiting the offensive tackle weaknesses one on one and doubling down on interior pressure. Howell has to realize he's not an idiot. By now, he has to know that his offensive tackles cannot be trusted. <laughs> he's guess his sack percentage per play is 35.7, which is first in the entire NFL. And that's mostly because of the play of those outside tackles. <laughs> most of most of the times he gets hit and battered around, it's because one of those guys isn't doing their job. It's cool one week. And you can walk out there with a tough chin and go, wow, my guy's had a bad day. And then you can go out there and do it again and go, well, you know... They had another rough day, and it's it's okay. I got beat up a little bit, but it's cool. It's cool. Chris, when does it stop being cool? And when do you as a quarterback start? Even if you're doing it unconsciously, you're like, fuck, I cannot get hit again. Like, I have to move. I have to move my feet. Yeah, you need a new coaching staff. I mean, new ownership would help. Well, they have it. Exactly. The center has also quietly allowed five pressures. And I'd argue, like, given the struggles of the tackles, when you look at the Bills' depth chart, they're probably game planning for a scenario where they have to give help. They have to give help on the outside, and that's probably what's stirring a lot of this, the center being something of a little bit of a liability. So with that in mind, I know people will say that, well, if the tackles are doing poorly, you attack them. Now, I think this is a game where you time up some safety blitzes up the middle. You probably bring some line. I, I mean, I would. Matt Milano seems to be our best blitzing linebacker, but he's also our best coverage guy. I almost feel like who would you trust more? Blitzing at Bernard, knowing that he might get home, or blitzing I'd Milano, go with Bernard, Bernard. leaving Bernard in coverage. Bernard, no, Bernard, because you want to see if he can do it. You already know what Milano can do. You know his limitations and what he can and can't do. Bernard, we have no idea about it. So you mean then anything? It, yeah, he, he literally can't. So I mean, here, blitz. Let's see if you can do it. This this South Dakota State beer is amazing. Drinks like a blue moon. It does drink like a blue moon, but lighter. It's not as heavy. And in that way, I could probably drink about fifty of these things. It's amazing. It's right at five percent. Right at bottled water. No. Just ahead. Like I said, 5% is the cutoff. 4.4, yeah. 4, get out of here with that. It's delicious. Fernson Brewing, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That's amazing. Why doesn't UB have a beer? Oh. Uh, you don't even want to know. What beer would you, like, if you could think of a local beer that could be UB University? Blue Balls. Blue Balls. <laughs> Well, I was going to say what well, brewery, but that's hilarious. Um, 
somebody here might have gotten jaded a little bit by the university. Either way, here's what I know. That guy knows he can't trust those two guys. I think you're going to see the natural progression of a quarterback trying to protect himself. Inevitably, he has to step up in the pocket. He can't keep getting battered around like this. With that in mind, this is an opportunity for us to kind of exploit the fact that they're going to be now trying to give help on the outside. This is where you come with the extra brushers in the A-gap, the B-gap. You disrupt that offense with a Jordan Phillips and an Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver. You rotate through these guys and you let them be the reason that this quarterback has no place to get comfortable. No place where he feels comfortable setting his feet and just launching the ball up. Also, Chris, who do you trust more to win one-on-one? Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, and Jordan Phillips? Or Rousseau, a slightly injured Floyd, and Epinesa? All of the above. (laughs) Okay. I'm just putting it out there as food for thought. Linebacker and safety play is going to be huge in this game, and it's going to come down to eye discipline. This team cannot take the cheese. That's a term I learned from Iman Azizi as I was drunkenly sitting on his couch watching baseball, and he was coaching me through how not to hate it. I'm not going to lie. The only way I ever want to watch a baseball game again is sitting on the couch at Iman's house with a glass of whiskey and him explaining all of the dumb shit mediocre pitchers are doing. That's it. That's all I want to do. That's the only baseball I want to see ever again. Thanks to BNME's just pre-snap eye candy, the motion that he's built into this offense, Washington's screen game has been a weapon for them all season long. He uses a lot of misdirection to get the linebackers going one way, but then he doesn't stop there. Like, that's one way to kind of, hey, my screen worked because the linebackers were going this way and then I threw this way. He incorporates guard motion into that. So the guards will pull and get out into space in front of this running back screen. And all of a sudden, this play has legs. Last week, they threw four screen passes. Like, they had four completions, Chris, on screens. Averaged 21 yards a play. And every single one of them had the potential to be a house call. If it didn't come down to a defender making a great play on the ball, on the backside, but 21 yards. 21 yards downfield, a safety made a play. I'm just looking at this going, like, if I'm going to give up explosive plays to this offense, I'd rather have it be because Howell is trying to throw more passes down the field into double and triple coverage like he did last week than dumping it off and watching them beat us on the ground for giant chunks of yards because their guys are caught out of position and can't get to the ball carrier. Because one of those things you can stop. One of those things has the ability to generate a negative play. One of them does not. One of them is demoralizing to your both offense and defense. But I think you have to get out in front of that. And then in terms of the offense, where you go with the football... There's going to be some plays to get made against this secondary. There's going to be. They, they haven't been great. And like we talked about earlier in the show, we've been, they, they've been trailing at halftime through both of their games. It's not hard to score in this defense. or It's just where do you go with the ball? The guy who's taking the most coverage stamps for the team, Emmanuel Forbes, 
he's their, I don't know what you want to call him, cornerback one. Not great. He's given up 125 yards passing in two games. 66% completion percentage against. And then you've got some linebackers who are giving up a little more success. Uh, I, I don't know. There's just, there's Chris, everybody here has a better than 60% completion percentage against. When you look at the guys who play the most snaps for them in coverage, you're going to have places to move the ball. Last week was cool, and I like last week's approach, and I almost feel like given the pass rush, you're going to have to incorporate the quick game. Have to. It's how you keep Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen up the middle off of Josh Allen is because they're going to try to get upfield, but those DNs aren't going to collapse as quickly because there's going to be things in the flat past them, around them. They're going to want to be try to be in on those plays. At the same time, Allen's athleticism, I trust him to outrun those D-tackles as long as you don't let the DNs get in on the game. You have to figure out where you want to live and die, but teams have done it through two weeks. Everyone talks about them like they're this ferocious force. They've been outscored. <laughs> they've done a lot. Like, this is a thing that's happened. They've, they've given up points, significant points. I think the way you do it is you bring out a version of last week's game, except instead of the, the Gabe Davis, this is where you want your Stefan Diggs on a Manuel Forbes matchup, and you just look at him more often. And you say, look, I trust you to beat that guy. And if they move the safeties over to that side of the field and they try to cheat, who else has a one-on-one? Is this a, is this a tight end game? Is this, is this Dalton Kincaid's coming out game? Given the fact that they've got linebackers who are giving up 90% of the completions, <laughs> I just think that it's either it's got to be digs or it's got to be one of the tight ends. This is one of those things where the ball has to come out fast, but there's going to be a lot of meat on the bone for this offense if they can run the same approach they did last week, which obviously they have film on it now, so they're going to be working to try to take those things away. You're going to have to throw them a couple more wrinkles, and I think the perfect one is more Dalton Kincaid, more Stephon Diggs. Chris, predictions for the game. It's going to be another Bills win. I don't know if it'll be similar to the last time we played them where we dropped like 40 on them, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar to what we just saw against the Raiders. I think it's going to be 31 to 14, 31 to 17 Buffalo. And they cover the spread, obviously. You want to put a Seagrams on that? The Bills cover the spread? What is the spread? I'll look it up. Give me a minute. Well, no, because we're going to edit it out because we had it at the top of the show. So you give it to me now, and then I have it. Six and a half. So it's six and a half points. I, I'll take the under. I'll, t- I'll take I'll take the Commanders to cover but not win. I think this might be closer. Sam Howell has balls. The enemy is. How funny would it be, Chris, if the thing that we're talking about now at the end of the se- like at the end of the season, ten weeks from now, for all the shit everyone has talked about Eric the enemy. The story actually becomes that he was the thing that made the the Chiefs offense special. Mm-hmm. Think about it. What have they been in two weeks without him? Not impressive. 
Did he call the plays? I don't know. And I guess no one really knows. <laughs> they go, well, he had a lot of the game planning, and he did this and he did that, but Andy Reid called the plays. It's like, all right, well, how much of that planning does Andy Reid wish he had right now? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, and I think that this is a good litmus test of what this... we Our offense got tested week one. We failed. The, the offense rebounded. Now it's time to test the defense a little bit and go, hey, do you have the balls to stand up to a team that's been scoring points in droves and has kind of an innovative approach? This is a poor man's Chiefs. That's what you're playing. A poor man's Chiefs team with arguably better skill players and a worse quarterback. The, this is what's going to kind of be the litmus test for what this defense is, in my mind, through three weeks. If you want to have hope of slowing down the Miami Dolphins in week four, I need a good showing here. I think that six and a half, I think Washington makes this thing a lot closer than most people think they're going to. I still think the Bills win because they have Josh Allen. I think that when Josh Allen wants to turn it on, he can. And if he has to play, like, I just, I just, I hope that they found the recipe for success last year, last week, and then can incorporate some of the big play Josh Allen moments we're used to into that when things get tight, because I think they're going to. I don't know. It's going to be crazy to see. I'm willing to bet a Seagrams. Chris, you want to take it? Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Washington cover is the bet, guys. Your predictions at Rock Powell Report on Twitter. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this is your Week 3 Preview. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.